You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, this story is too bad. The Bryant University basketball coach, Jared Grasso, announced his resignation. And this is someone that seemingly came in, brought the basketball program to another level. They had tremendous success. First ever NCAA tournament appearance. And he ran into some problems off the court. But he now says his, in, his resignation was difficult, but at best for his family, mental health. He wrote, Dear supporters and friends, mixed emotions um, that I announced by resignation, heads men's basketball coach at Bryant. My role as father, husband's everything, rigors of a coach lifestyle, three young children, extremely challenging. Uh, physical health, mental must come first at this time. Uh, for the last 25 years, I've chased this game impacting lives uh, blah 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 so listen there, there was certainly a lot that was um going on clearly it wasn't just the arrest and that famous arrest with the body cam police body cam footage that he was just ranting and raving and involved in a hit and run it, it wasn't just that there was clearly something going on behind the scenes uh something involving his activity we don't know what it is he's a young guy he was getting paid uh, a good amount of money it sounds like they've come to some kind of an agreement you hate to hear something like this i'll tell you why i i hate to hear a story like this simply because this is someone who he you know he believed in the program he seemingly really had things going with the program um and it wasn't like it was a it was a losing season it wasn't like a losing record but there's clearly something going on here um, that that he got involved in, and he needs to step away. So, but he um, number one, they made the NCAA. That was huge. That win at you know over Syracuse. That was that was a that was a big time win. That was a big time win when you have uh, a program that seemingly comes out of nowhere. And then suddenly there they are, and they're defeating the likes of a Syracuse. I mean, that was a that was a big-time moment for Bryant basketball. But it is over. Jared Grasso. Now, they have the coach right now. I don't know if that's going to be a permanent coach. I don't know if it'll be an interim coach. He'll uh, Maybe he's going to have to—I don't know what he's going to do, actually. I'm not even going to speculate. But what we do know is the basketball coach at Bryant University, Jared Grasso— is out now as the coach of Bryant. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck, or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're gonna love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Folks, let's dip in local television, Channel 12 Newsmakers program, where they break down the race that just happened. Gary Leonard, the Republican, 35%. Gabe Bamo, the Democrat, 65%. Let's pick it up with Tim White. Of course, Democrat Gabe Amo with a resounding 65% of the vote. Gary Leonard, the Republican, with 35% of the vote, which tracks with conventional wisdom. That's about what um, uh, Republicans can get, particularly in, in CD1. Um, I think it was roughly... 66,000 votes cast in the 1st Congressional District. Let's go uh, around the table here, and Ted, I'll start with you. What stood out to you most about Tuesday's election? Well, could, there's a lot of different things, but the thing that I keep thinking about is the consistency of the vote in this unusual special election with a first-time candidate on both sides of the ballot with previous elections. So uh, the margin was about a 30-point victory for Gabe Amo here over Gary Leonard. What was the margin for uh, Joe Biden over Donald Trump? In 
in CD1 in 2020? 29 points. Good you know, Exactly. <laughs> and what did David Cicilline get uh, last in his final re-election race? I think it was like up 28 points. So just this was, even though it was, the turnout was lower and it was an unusual timing, in the end it was sort of like you just shrunk the electorate and got the same kind of swath of voters on both sides. All right, so I do want to go around and see what stood out to you, but you bring up the question, is that the Republican ceiling in CD1? It tends to be the Republican ceiling. The district is so Democratic at this point. Look at the city of Providence. Normally a Democrat would get about 80% of the vote in Providence. Gabe Amo got 90% of the vote. In a couple precincts, he got 93, 94% of the vote. And I think what's happening is the Republicans have no base at all in CD1. Years ago, they did. Right now, that's going away. And they can't say, well, I'm going to win this district well, they won three pre three uh, towns, but by 52%, 55%, where Democrats are rank, running up 70%, 74%, 90%. How do you counter that in CD1? You're sort of the state's political historian, so I, I do want to talk about the difference in a moment uh, between now and, as you sure. alluded to then. But before we get to that, Kara, what stood out to you? You know, I, I, I agree with both what Ted and, and Joe said in that there's a ceiling and a floor. I'll also say that I thought the campaign was reasonably positive, um, mm. not necessarily the result, but I thought that was about issues. And I think that maybe shows the line in the district between Republican issues and Democrat issues. And I think that the voters came out at, on their issues and voted that way. That's a very good point. I mean, effectively, um, and it's no disparagement of either candidate, you had a fairly generic Democrat in mm -hmm. Gabe Amo, mainstream, worked for Joe Biden, campaigning on healthcare and social security and abortion rights and et cetera. And Gary Leonard, a fairly traditional New England Republican, talking about bipartisanship, trying to have some distance with the National Party, et cetera. And that this district falls to 65-35 in that yeah, environment. Yeah, but it, everything is sort of relative, and I think it felt a little bit more, I guess, polite relative to the primary. And, right. and why? Because in a general election, there are very clear differences in policy. So in a primary, you have to attack character, right? Yes. And so I think the primary felt more negative. And in the primary, you, the, you're you going to need all the other voters who are with the other opponents to be with you in the general. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't want to say too much that has base Democratic voters mad at you if you're Gabe Amo. I just think, also I think a lot of, Gabe Amo ran a very good campaign and had a bunch of breaks, which is a great combination if, if you're running in Capaldi. But also Gary Leno was lacking resources. Mm. There was no one from outside coming in to give him a couple hundred thousand dollars to get on the TV. A lot of people just did not know him. So people who say, well, there's an election, I'm going to vote, they're voting the regular way, and that's Democratic in the first CD. And I think with both of them being newcomers, neither one of them had a record. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to attack what, what people yeah. are putting out about yourself when I mean, you didn't have mm -hmm. any uh, mud slinging because it wasn't a lot of mud defined. Well, Whereas in the CD1 didn't need to uh, mud sling. No, the CD1 race that... Can I just interrupt for a moment? No mud. Gay Bamo worked in the Biden White House. You have a very unpopular president, number one. Gay Balmo received an endorsement from Sabina Matos, the lieutenant governor who's under uh, her campaign, is still under criminal investigation. Gay Balmo, who was endorsed by Governor McKee, who's the subject of an FBI probe. Uh, Gay Balmo, who, in light of everything going on in Israel and all the protests, posed with the leader of Black Lives Matter and posed with the member of the squad. There's no dirt. Gabe Amo, who wants to just follow in the role of Cicely, no dirt? I think there's a, there's, I think there was a lot of dirt for someone that wanted to um, capitalize on it. Let's, re let's return to newsmakers. Kara ran for Republican John Laughlin in 2010. I mean, we do forget, CD1's been Democratic for a long time, but John Laughlin only lost to David Cicilline by six points, was it, Kara, mm, in 2010? Six, six, yeah. He's so, the closest, right, uh, yep. to anyone that challenged oh, David Cicilline. Absolutely. Yep. And yes. that was his first, that was both, that was the first time Cicilline ran. Um, City and Hall baggage. City Hall baggage. Um, also, a terrible political environment nationally for Democrats. Yeah. Still coming out of the Great Recession. Obama wasn't Good popular, point. et cetera. Gabe Amo had more of a tailwind here because Joe Biden's poll numbers aside, we saw it was a good night nationwide for Democrats the other night. And you, you know, Gary Leonard, he's trying to talk about bipartisanship and lowering the temperature in Washington. Meanwhile, the caucus he was trying to join spent most of the fall campaign here with no speaker at each other's throats, yeah. putting Mike Johnson in place. So that stuff matters, too. If Gabe Amo was facing a lot of negative stuff coming up for Democrats, maybe 
he would have faced some other questions. But... And we haven't said the T word yet, but that was Trump. <laughs> that... <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know where you were going. Sorry. <laughs> There's a few of those. Um, no, I, I think that that uh, was probably a bit of a, an anchor around Gary Leonard's uh, neck regardless because you know, oh, traditional Republicans. I mean, right. he tried to sidestep right. that so issue. It's hard to sidestep, though, when your base is asking, are you with a, our president? And anybody else who you may be trying to draw in is asking, are you with that former president? Was anybody else... That, that was not an issue in this race. The issue should have been Biden and the fact that Gabe Amo wants four more years of Biden-Harris. That's what it should have been. Um, I, I find the analysis on this very, very biased and troubling. I was surprised by turnout. By Kara Cromwell, that was with the Laughlin right, campaign. The first congressional yeah, district. About 19, 20 percent. Yeah. Okay, now that's depressingly low. You would like to see a much higher turnout <laughs> than that, but special election, off your election. Joe, were you surprised by that turnout? I was a little surprised, but then I started to look. Some of these uh, school bond issues, I think that drew voters yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Barrington, especially Middletown. The numbers were pretty high in Middletown because the bond was getting them out. So that might have drew an extra five, 6,000 voters out. So, I mean, 20% still is not a great turnout at all when you've got 341,000 registered voters in the district and only 66,000 come out. So, Joe, uh, we sort of touched on it briefly. Uh, it was not ancient history the last time <laughs> a Republican was winning and was winning easily right. in a congressional race in CD1, 1992, Ron Makeley. Just lay it on the table. How much... Has the district changed uh, for Republicans in the last 30 years? Okay, it's changed quite a bit. Back in those days, Barrington, very Republican community. Little Compton, Middletown, Portsmouth, Lincoln, and there's other communities that the Republicans could count on to build up some votes to counter the city of Providence and Pawtucket. Now they don't have that anymore. So, you know, if you're lucky, you might break even in those communities. That's not enough to win the first CD when you're trying to go against the strong Democratic areas who have a lot more voters than you. Gary won North, um, North Smithfield, Smithfield 52%, uh, Winsocket 52%, I think North Smithfield is 55%. Again, they're victories, but they're small victories. Yeah. In CD1, you have to have a lot of big victories. Just to build on. You know, he's exactly right, actually. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, Call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252. 323-9252. AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings. Look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes, additions. Also, commercial rehabs, painting, remodeling. Contact them today. It's a family-run business. AJ Drywall Plaster Home Improvements. Call for a free quote. What a difference they'll make in your home, your ceilings, floors, basements. 401-323-9252. What a difference. Beautiful walls and ceilings. 401-323-9252. You can also find them on Facebook. It's AJ Drywall Plaster and home improvements for your home or business. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, he's the managing editor for Incorising.com. It is Justin Katz. And Justin, let's start off. Boy, it already seems like a long time ago. But the uh, CD1 results, uh, basically, uh, Gabe Ammo, Gary Leonard, uh, we already know the what the result was, but I'm curious your thoughts uh, now that we've had a chance to see the numbers and how the the uh, race broke out. Well, I mean it it wasn't surprising, and part of the problem with that is our our new reality where basically if you're if you're trying to predict the outcome you in any in any large race significant race in Rhode Island basically the Republicans are going to get between 30 and 35 percent reliably that's basically the range and so it it kind of takes some of the fun and excitement out of the out of the process because you know that that's going to be the result but you know this was this was understood by all this is why you had uh, Secretary of State Gregor Amore introducing uh, Gabe Amo as the next congressman even before the election you know it's because this was expected. And it's in some ways, it's it's almost 
there's some degree of self-fulfilling prophecy to it. I mean, because it's so really uninteresting, the news media doesn't pay attention. And because the news media doesn't pay attention, it doesn't get generate any excitement. So it's, it's kind of a part of just the, the deep, deep corrosion of our, our civics is, is how I, how I see this result. And I, I think it ought to, ought to give people on, on all, all sides of the aisle, uh, a little bit of pause that we're, we're in a situation where we're, we're handing out what have become basically lifetime appointment seats, unless, you know, Rhode Island loses a congressional seat because of population loss. Um, but these are lifetime appointments and it's, it's almost like a ho-hum yawn fest when it comes to an election, which is a, a shame. You know, it's interesting, Justin, <clears throat> as far as the Rhode Island Republican party, it almost seems you tell me, but the goal seems to be more of get someone who at least, has, you know, a credible candidate, in this case, uh, Gary Leonard, 30 years in the Marine Corps. So get someone like that and then lose gracefully seems to be more of the objective than actually, you know, winning, winning the race. It's almost like let's have someone who won't embarrass us, looks like a candidate, and then most importantly, you know, will lose gracefully. Almost like a team that's just concerned that when they're going to lose, at least their uniforms will will look like a professional team. <laughs> yeah, something like that. The Washington Generals uh, used to go against the Harlem Globetrotters all the time. Right. It's kind of that kind of sort of thing. You know, I I, I think there's a, a lot more. The, the baseline criterion for a Republican running for a statewide seat or, or a federal seat in this case uh, is that they have the resources, well, the time to spend on their own campaign and the resources to loan it money or, or pay for it. Those seem to be the real criteria to become a congressional or gubernatorial or other candidate. And a lot of those people, I, I don't know why they're doing it. I mean, they, they know they've got no shot, so maybe it's just something fun to do and as they're older and successful. But um, they're going to do that losing gracefully thing, which, you know, I, I'm all for losing gracefully. Although, you know, when at some point you're, you're not acknowledging the reality of the the opponent, you know, what's, what's your case if when you, every time you lose, you go, okay, well, I look forward to you doing a great job, you know, or, well, then why did you run? Why do we need you? What, right. what's, if they're doing a great job, what's, what's the point? But I, I think a lot of the, the real problem is, so the, the motivation of the people running is one thing. And then the, the party, the folks who are doing it in the party, I, you know, I think it's just sort of, they want to get involved. They want to try to do something good. And there's just no there, there, there's no, there's no leverage. There's no, um, there's no kind of party infrastructure. There's no money. They bring nothing to the table, which is why they need savior candidates who can fund their own campaigns. And so, you know, they'll, they'll do what they can and then they'll move on with their next hobby. And I think that's kind of the, kind of the, the rut they're in and, and nobody seems to have a sense of how to shake it. But I do know that if you're, if you're being complimented by all the right Democrats for, for losing gracefully in a, in a, by a big margin, you're, you're probably missing something. And to me that, that, I mean, we're referring to a particular tweet uh, from, yes. with Gary Leonard yeah. hugging gay mammo, which, you know, great, great comedy after C O M M I T Y after the, after the election. But it, it, it really ties, I think, to his entire problem through the beginning, which was just a real no, really no making the case. Like, why are you running? You know, what's, how are you going to appeal to your base of voters? And I think that that just characterized uh, Leonard from the beginning. Although, you know, I'm skeptical that it would have made much difference. He did get he did get up to the the 35 percent maximum of a of a Republican. So, um, but he didn't shake anything up. He didn't he didn't run a, a compelling race that would get people excited and that's that's kind of structurally what we have for republicans in the state they've got to find some way to to get past that and he he had never run before so justin i think his low number it also unfortunately now <clears throat> i think it makes it harder for the party to convince someone like that to run again because as you and i both know this seat is up again if he had run and lost like a 58 to 42 Ideally, like a 56 to 44. Okay, you know, we need 10 points here. How are we going to do that? I think then someone might be more inclined. The 35%, as a Republican said to me, is the problem is when you get blown out so much, you walk away like, okay, well, I'm never doing that again, as opposed to I'm going to take the holidays off, 
I'm going to, you know, start it up again in February. And this time around, I have better name recognition. One thing that surprises me, Justin Katz, and again, folks, our segment is politics this week, is he did win Republican Leonard. He won with Socket, Smithfield, North Smithfield. So you have that corner. What I find frustrating and, and I don't understand from the Republican Party is why, you know, they should have known that or could have known that. Um, but you build on that. Then you say, OK, he ran competitive in Lincoln. Uh, how many votes? What could we do to now build up Lincoln? That could have been four places that he won. You know, Cumberland, in some ways, he ran maybe competitively, could have been in play. It, it, you got to start to, like, build some blocks. Um, and, and granted, he got blown out in Providence 90 to 10. But I, I don't know if there was any. I don't. I don't think I really even saw any type of campaign effort in Providence. What do you, What are your thought on running again or a strategy for for twenty twenty four? Well, I I think what the Republican Party should have done when when Gary Leonard came forward was say, yeah, let's not do Congress, okay? Let's start with your town sure. council or let's start with the General Assembly, and then you get, you get people building name recognition and and learning the ropes and how to do it and and giving them some sense of victory, and so when they get to Congress. The congressional race, even if they say, "Oh, I lost badly," they're they're in it. They know they can win in right. politics instead of just just like a, an expensive hobby for a year. But the so I and I, but I think you're right, and I think the the value of looking through those results in particular areas is to then target those areas for local races. And if and this this is the problem. There's there's no infrastructure for Republicans. There's no there's no salary for anybody to actually do this. So it's it's really a hundred percent volunteer. And then everybody gets to where they stab each other in the back when they did have small disagreements. So it becomes frustrating, and everybody walks away. But what they need to do is look through these results. Say where were we reasonable reasonably strong? Step one. Step two. Who do we know there? Who's there? Who's up and coming? Who's been running? Who? Let's help them to secure that area and make it a little bit stronger. So next time we've got somebody running, they get a stronger margin and we've got a base of support. We can we can send people to the General Assembly and get them on that pipeline. That's that's the, the next step. Uh, but I think with regard to the, the overall election results, well, first of all, the mail ballots, AMO won 83 percent. So Republicans really need to find a way to neutralize that. Uh, oh. And they it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, the technology today, you just need somebody with a little bit of understanding and they can they can break up the data and, and get find you all of those voters and you can maximize mail ballots. And when when mail ballots start becoming a tie or, or even a liability to Democrats, then you'll know that they'll 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 start to rein in the abuse of mail ballots once the, once they're not helping them anymore. So that's one area. They've got to at least neutralize that. And then Providence, they do they need to start making inroads. And it's not yeah. clear how to do that. But I mean, I remember, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, working with the Center for Freedom and Prosperity, when uh, we were starting to try to find audiences in Providence, what we heard was, you know, Republicans come and even even the conservative folks in Providence were saying Republicans come here and I mean minorities in this case and they they think they kind of deserve our vote but you you need to come talk to us you need to ask you need to be present and I know the Tea Party was active starting to go into Providence and look for allies there that's got to be done and I mean you don't have to win the city but you need to ha do better than ninety ten right I mean that's in a statewide election it's the number exactly. of votes you don't you don't win the electors of Providence right. if you get if you get Seven, uh, thirty percent of the vote in Providence. That's a huge swing for Republicans statewide, and so that's that's the next thing they need to do. And then, actually, I was thinking also about uh, we, we've discussed before the recent city council race in Cranston, where a large part of the problem was the infighting. And I think that's the yeah. that's the the kind of the fourth area Republicans really need to do some thinking about is how do we how do we keep each other in line? How do we how do we stop the infighting? How do we? I mean, you. you is a lot of people with very strong ideas at this point. Nobody's in it for a career. They're all in it because they believe in it. And that can, that's great, but it also creates a risk. And so they, they really need to figure out how to, how to kind of solidify that and overcome that when you don't have, you know, basically patronage jobs throughout state government that can, and nonprofits that can keep people in line. And those, if they start to address any of those uh, issues, I think they'll make gains and maybe, maybe shift the margin back to the 35 to 40%, which would at least be, be something. Folks, quick break, much more ahead politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com right here on the John DePietro show. Admed Urgent Care, walk-in urgent care center 
all your medical needs. They're open seven days a week, doctors and nurses. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center, 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. Again, they're open seven days a week at Med Urgent Care. When you need urgent care without the wait now, when I've been in that situation and I needed urgent care, that's where I went. If you want to go to an emergency room and have a long wait, well, you're free to do that. Otherwise, do what I did. Go to At Med Urgent Care. Whether it's work-related, maybe someone's not feeling well, someone needs stitches, whatever it may be, At Med Urgent Care comprehensive outpatient urgent care facility there's two locations one near you johnston right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich that's right across from felicia's when you need and i need urgent care you want at med urgent care again two locations 1524 atwood avenue in johnston in the atwood medical center and 5750 post road east greenwich Seven days a week, doctors and nurses at Med Urgent Care. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com. Justin, I just want to finish off on the CD1 race. You know, um, I have since learned that with this whole situation, the last, the month of October, there was concern within the AMO campaign regarding a big part of uh, CD1 as far as the Providence East Side. Uh, voters, you, you have a large number of Jewish voters that uh, Cicilline could always count on, Patrick Kennedy could always count on. This presented a certain challenge. It reaffirmed my belief. When we talk about, you and I talk about trying to make gains in Providence, I believe Am, uh, Gabe Amo, he gave, you know, unequivocal, yes for Israel, there's no difference in our position. It's my understanding they did feel that that could have been a pivotal moment. I believe uh, Republican Gary Leonard missed an opportunity. And I even said it at the time to, you know, the guy was posing with the leader of Black Lives Matter, who, you know, is all in for ceasefire and Palestinians. Um, uh, Gabe Amo was posing with a member of the squad. I It reaffirmed to me when you and I talk about trying to cut into that 90-10, I think it was a missed opportunity. But going forward, that could be an issue the Republicans have been searching for which is the large Jewish population on the east side and and <clears throat> use the issue of how Democrats are divided on Israel to try to get some Republican support. Well, you, you raise a great point. And I, I think particularly the, the Jewish community in, in Providence brings in other issues like they they've been heavily involved in school choice issues, I know, which is another yeah. area where Republicans could. Good could point. make urban gains. I mean, it's not. There are issues, but for some reason, uh, it, few people want to want to dive into that and and really make an issue of it. And you know, I think part of it is. I mean, we were talking about the the losing gracefully, and and uh, so people who are coming in and funding their campaigns for their own reasons may not. They may not want to be that person who makes it makes it violent and bloody about you know Israel. You're you're posing with with the squad. You know, they they might not want to be those people, which is part of the problem of not having a strong Republican uh, group because they could be those people and let the candidate keep his hands or her hands pretty clean exactly. in, in that fight. Yeah. And but that's a problem. But the the larger issue is just not having that coherent um, that coherent platform. And part of it is that. Once you do that, you once you once you make any gains really as a as a Republican or a conservative in the state, you become the the villain in all the media stories. You are clearly the, the you're the opponent. You you've definitely got evil Coke billionaire money in your in your accounts. You're somehow corrupt and you want to kill people. That becomes your story. And the kind of candidates that Republicans are are finding are people who are funding their own campaign. They don't want to. They're not doing it to become the villain of Rhode Island. Um, that's the, I mean, that's, that's really not why unlikely to be what their motivation is. And so I think that's, that's part of the problem that's keeping them from really digging in where there's opportunities so in a Jewish community in a school, school choice, which, uh, black families really support school choice, uh, in polls as well. So that's, those are areas they could dive into mail f- uh, ballot fraud, but they, uh, there's just something something in the structure of of the way rhode island does things and i think a lot of it has to do with becoming that villain that yeah or, that. or even understanding the role to me it's like well, like i've said i just don't think they know how to win it doesn't even appear occur to them actually like hey i should jump in and i've been saying that as well be the bad cop and let him be the good cop but 
the chairman just doesn't seem to understand that or embrace that role. Now, Justin, also, uh, folks, again, politics this week with Justin Katz. Uh, Woonsocket Mayor Lisa Baldelli Hunt becomes another official this year to not take, to me, the oath that they took seriously in resign. Now, certainly there's a lot of smoke here about an investigation. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the resignation of the Woonsocket mayor. Well, well, see, I guess the, the noise is, is for health reasons, which, yeah, I guess when you when a spotlight comes on you for potential corruption investigation, it, it yeah. gets stressful and it can affect your health. That's for sure. Uh, you know, as, as as we've discussed before, the you've got all this money and you've got ideological smokescreen. So you've got federal money that nobody local really cares where it came from. It comes from this big mess called Washington, D.C. And then you've got, oh, affordable housing. That's a fashionable thing. And it's a, a those sorts of areas are a great place to hide money. The money's got to go somewhere and you can bet there are people lining up to grab it. And so, you know, she, she got caught because I think in apparently or allegedly, and it, because it seems like a pretty brazen move, you know, somebody close gets a giant deal. That's, that's the math isn't even that difficult to do on the value of the property versus what was pled, what was given. Uh, so that's, that's just the way you're, they're going to find ways to use this money to their advantage. It's in the nature of politics. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not surprising. What's surprising is that it's, it's not more common. I mean, you would, you'd think this would be catching up people across the board in Rhode Island, but I, I it's, you know, this is com- very speculative, but just as it feels interesting that one of the few places that Gary Leonard wins is also where this kind of corruption gets caught. And that yeah. could be because there are conservatives and Republican and at least leaning members. I don't know all their party affiliation on the city council and in, in city government who are keeping an eye on these things, uh, which is a healthy possibility. And then there's also the possibility of that others in at the state level are more inclined to investigate more conservative areas. But I think, I, I like the positive area, and it really does show the value of having split government where yes. people on the city council are not the same party. They're not just negotiating over scraps. They are actually disagree, and they have incentive to go after each other. And if you could apply that, if you could get to where the Republicans in a General Assembly, say, had a, had a sizable caucus and could actually affect legislation and had, a, had enough people and enough budget to, to do investigations, I think you'd see a lot more of this sort of exposure throughout state government. But at this point, they're all on the same team. Uh, and that, that's why that could be why it seems so rare that these actually these corruption investigations actually uh, bring up anything. Folks, again, uh, we're speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Our segment is politics this week. Justin, two Congress, former Congressman Cicilline stories. One, he was supposed to head a fundraiser for the Democrat Party, complete conflict with the uh, Rhode Island Foundation. And gave basically no type of explanation other than a, suddenly a spotlight went on and he canceled. And number two, what do you make of this? It was Kathy Gregg of the Province Journal that talked about he appeared at a forum with the Boston Globe and talked about the Rhode Island Foundation investing in local journalism. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on both. Well, I, I think it's all of a piece. I mean, the about 12 to 15 years ago, the Rhode Island Foundation started a new civic fund. Uh, so and it was it's been a relatively small percentage, but it was its fastest fastest growing fund, and it was it was part of this move we've observed with Rhode Island Foundation in the last fifteen years of becoming sort of a, a behind the scenes special interest power broker in state government, and really engaging in in what are political questions, choosing hosting forums to discuss the future of the state and policy, you know that sort of thing, which are edging into into government and. Their hiring of Cicilline as a CEO. I mean, we talked about it at the time. Like, what are they thinking? This is it's doing that is political. There's no two ways about it. When somebody is a lifelong politician, he's been a, a mayor of Providence, a congressman, one of the big attack dogs for Democrats nationally. Yeah. When you make him your CEO, you are you are making your organization political. And so this has the 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 event he was going to attend, a thousand dollar fundraiser or something like that, was. It, to me, it was him testing the boundaries. I mean, it's it, in a way, it's it's very honest. This this is the organization they have become, and he just discovered that they're not quite to the point where he can throw the throw the mask completely off. He still has to pretend uh, 
because they probably got some old relatively uh, Republican or, or relatively conservative donors to the, to the charity end of the RI Foundation, that somebody called them up and said, no, 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 <laughs> you're risking too much here. And I think that's that's part of it. He was, but he was called on it. And I think there's something similar, very much related in the journalism story. I mean, the Rhode Island Foundation is a political player in Rhode Island. They are a special interest. And so when they're talking about funding uh journalism uh, when they're talking about the, the need to uh, of journalism as a, as a civic institution that needs to be funded and needs support that raises red flags and i think we yeah. saw that in a very interesting exchange between kathy Gregg of the providence journal and the editor of the uh of the boston globes rhode island uh rhode island uh Branch. Lila, yeah. Lila Alphonse, Alphonse, I yep. think her name is. And I've had back and forth with her all the time when I've when I've criticized reporting of, of the Globe's reporters on Rhode Island and just pointing out things I think they were missing or, or saying uh, that showed bias. And she jumps in and, and she's got the very sassy, you know, Twitter attitude. Oh, you do you, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it was kind of refreshing to see that her apply that to Kathy Gregg as well. But I think it, it shows the, the defensiveness and it, it makes you wonder, what is the Globe getting from the Rhode Island Foundation? I mean, Kathy Gregg asked her, why are you running interference for Cicilline? He can answer for himself. I'm not running interference. You know, it's just, it, I, it, Kathy put her finger on something very, very important and very, very much, um, very much of concern to Rhode Islanders. And it's kind of refreshing that a mainstream journalist in Rhode Island still has that kind of old school integrity to, to say, Hey, this is, there's some smoke here and we need to pay attention to this. Well, uh, also the Rhode Island foundation, Justin Katz, they, um, they're one of the sponsors of newsmakers on channel 12. So that's to me problematic where when then your David Cicilline, when he encounters Tim White and Ted Nisi, as much as they want to be objective, if he pulled the funding, not good for you know it's the implied leverage they better be careful with the type of stories they do about him because as they encounter him um in some ways it's kind of like the new boss of the show so as much as and i know the globe will say well you know the red sox owns us and we're very critical of them maybe some of dan shaw to see some of the more senior reporters but what if you're a new reporter you're not gonna risk or if someone says gee i don't know about that you better be careful with that type of story um, I think Cicely knew exactly what he was doing with, let's face it, this whole thing is him trying to buy influence, make friends, because when Senator Reid or White House, whichever one says they're no longer running, he is announcing immediately after that to go for one of those Senate seats. And this is all the build up. How many friends can he make? How much money can he give out? Meaning Cicilline. This is all to me, just the build up for that. So if he can have sway over local newspapers or sway over local media but in the form of grants given by the Rhode Island Foundation it's it's all just kind of building up the war chest and to me it reminds me of back in the 90s when speaker Matt Smith on his computer they actually had kept track of favors of people they did favors for that then when the day would come that they'd want to return and say hey you owe us we got you out of this you know we need this or that type of thing folks um Quick break, much more ahead. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Do you need a good plumber? I found the best plumber, JMB Plumbing. Call them today, all your plumbing needs, 401 743 9153. JMB Plumbing. They've been providing plumbing services for years. Skilled professionals stand behind their work. Guarantee you will be happy. Maybe it's repairing damaged water pipes, repair clogged pipelines, maybe replace a, a water heater, as well as all your plumbing needs. Call them now. It's JMB Plumbing, 401 743 9153. Nothing throws off your life or your home or your business. When you need plumbing service, you need someone reliable, someone who's professional, someone who'll handle the job and do it right. It's JMB Plumbing. Call them today, 401 743 9153. JMB Plumbing. And look for them on Facebook. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Well, Justin, you have been saying it 
that uh, you have, we, we're on opposite sides of this, uh, but you have been a critical of the Attorney General on Twitter. And now I'm curious to hear your reaction that apparently Judge Procassini wants, Procassini wants him in his courtroom and it's based on Twitter activity by the Attorney General. Well, it's an interesting twist. I mean, I, I the tweet that he was uh, apparent appears to have been called in by the judge um, to talk about strikes me as completely legitimate. So it's not actually one of the ones where he was abusing his office. I mean, he was opining on on the structure of our civic uh, of our, our court system, and that seems like fair ground. Of course, I may be missing something where the Attorney General doing that affects you know, prejudices some cases but it seems to be related to but what he's talking about is uh, how the how the prosecutor ought to be able to to have more influence to ensure that there's a jury involved rather than waiving jury trial and um, I could see potentially that being a problem where lawyers might say hey look I should have had a my client should have had a jury or something like that but um, what's what's interesting to me here is well I mean the, the judge it feels like an abuse to call in, uh, especially, you know, uh, the attorney general is an elected uh, official. So he's a politician uh, and he's he's sure he's the head of law enforcement. But those sorts of people need to be able to express their opinion on how the legal system ought to work. And so I, th- I think the judge is probably probably out of line here. But one angle that that really interests me and it's because i i fall into the weeds on these things but it it seems like this is related to the case in barrington where one resident used uh used colorful racial language sure. when getting in a conflict with the other and the attorney general wanted to prosecute on grounds of hate crimes which is basically making speech um speech illegal and i think that's that's a an area where there's there's some contradiction where he's he's talking about how his he has free speech on on Twitter and yet it's over an issue where he wants to kind of use speech against somebody in that sort of sort of battle and I think that's an interesting area that that shouldn't be lost on folks is you you start to get this prejudice and it raises a, a very important question I think in in our civil justice system is, is or criminal justice system is why would a prosecutor want to be able to have a jury instead of a judge? It's because he wants some people he can he can get to vote his way, even if he's yes, wrong on the law. Exactly. And I yes. think that's that's a very a very dangerous attitude for for the attorney general to have, where he says, you know what, I wanted to prosecute this white rich guy uh, for hate crimes, but the judge waved it away and said, I didn't make the case. I want a jury so I can go up there and, and do my performance, and they all say, oh yeah, yeah, racist guy throw the book at them. That's, that's dangerous, especially because you, you, we just cannot trust that it will be handled evenly. If, if a black guy beats up his neighbor while yelling cracker or honky or whatever, that's not going to get the hate crime. Okay. Uh, now, so, let, me, let me push back on this just a little bit, Justin, because that's we view this, I think, differently. This case aside, what about, though, if because of the whole people at the state house that are representatives – and there were also attorneys, and they kind of have it in with a judge. So every time they're going to appear in front of a judge, they always say, "We want the the, uh, the bench trial. We don't want a jury." And then you know the the attorney is able to have his sway over the judge. To me, that's more dangerous. And I kind of like that if that's the case, you have an attorney general saying, "You know, these guys. It's like they know the end around. You don't go for a jury. You go for the." just the bench trial with the judge and they have it in with the judge. And so all of these cases that would end up being like a, a guilty verdict, they always find a way around it because they're always that, you know, because the attorneys have it in with the judge. Well, I, I think that's, that speaks to Rhode Island's deep corruption, but I'm, I'm not, okay. the, the, the complaint of the attorney general is that he thinks the prosecutor ought to be able to have influence on whether there's a jury right now. Exactly. Only the, yeah. only the defendant, the defendant can waive a jury. And I think that's, that's probably how it ought to be because you want the jury to be pe- reasonable people coming in and going, yeah, I'm not going to vote to convict this guy, even though, even though the letter of the law says I should, because the law is unfair or it's being applied badly or whatever. So it, in, a, in a rational system, the jury ought to be in the interest of the defendant. Um, so I think there's a there's a large red flag of the prosecutors wanting to say no. I want to be able to appeal to the the feeling the emotions of a jury uh, too. And so I think 
it, it, I think it's an indication of the, the the terrible corruption of Rhode Island that these things are get so confused. But I I'm not sure that I mean if if the defendants are wave, waving jury because they've they've gotten in with the judge, I I you know maybe maybe that's an issue where the attorney general ought to ought to have a would have a point. But then th- he okay. ought to address that. He ought to go straight to the heart of it because if he's if he's talking about I want to be able to appeal to a jury's emotions. Uh, as a prosecutor, that's okay. that's that's a that's a lot of concern. Around, I don't want to drown <laughs> on, on his exact language, but yeah. I, I like the fact that it does a lot of these trials. Sometimes they say immediately bench trial, and now it's just the judge trying to work it out um, with yeah. with the attorney. Justin, finally, uh, Mark Patinkin, I give him credit. He's the first one. He wrote a column where he was saying the embarrassment of some of these protesters. He they used the photo of Miguel Sanchez. And, and I sent you, not only is he getting pushback and they try to put, once again portray themselves as victims, you have one person saying the journal shouldn't publish his opinion column and then demanding a retraction. A retraction is when a newspaper gets the facts of maybe a story wrong. It's not and never on an opinion. Just what's your thought on I give Mark Patinkin credit for uh, being the first one and calling what it is. It's anti-Israel. Yeah, and he's he's long used his his platform when he cares about something to to be kind of an independent voice. It's I mean yeah. it's often human interest stories, but when he does get into politics and he has a good point, he, he's strong on it. And I think that's that's what we're seeing here. And yeah, the the complaints about it, you know, are, are kind of ri- ridiculous. They and it, it I think it shows you how identity politics works. He used an old sort of classic literary example of the the ghetto Jew, uh, which is, he wasn't calling anybody that he's talking about that as, as a sort of a trope, as a, as a character and that, Oh, he used this phrase. So he ought to be censored, which, you know, the the socialists all jump in and, but you know, it's good that he's there and it's good that he, he, somebody still has backbone to do that. And so between him and Kathy Gregg, I guess <laughs> the, the province yeah. journal is showing a lot of, a lot of integrity lately. It's, it's a shame their, their business model is, is in such trouble these days, but I, yeah, I give, I give him credit too. Folks. Again, he is uh, Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorizing.com. I segment about politics this week. Justin, excellent job as always. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. I look forward to the next conversation. When it comes to insurance, you need a neighbor, a partner, and friend. You need Shoppa Insurance Agency. They're located right on Reservoir Avenue in Cranston. Call today, free consultation, 401-900-INSU, 401-900-4678, Shoppa Insurance, SIA. Stephen, very experienced, whether it's auto, home, renters, business insurance, flood, recreational, umbrella, any other protection for your assets, Rhode Island and Massachusetts, Shoppa Insurance Agency, your agency of choice. Call today, set up a meeting. They're so knowledgeable, can have everything under one roof. Call Shoppa Insurance today, 401-900-INSU or 401-900-4678. Look for them on Facebook, again, located Reservoir Avenue in Cranston, Shoppa Insurance Agency, your neighbor, your partner, your friend, one-stop insurance solutions. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, over the course of the weekend, there were more protests locally, and I want to give credit to Mark Patinkin of the Providence Journal. He wrote a column, and he called out some of the protesters and some of the people that are objecting to it online are basically saying the journal should not have printed Mark Patinkin's opinion column on this. And there was also pushback because they used a photo of Providence City Councilman Miguel Sanchez, who now appears at these rallies, speaks at these rallies. And then suddenly they try to flip it, as always, and portray themselves as victims. So I want to give credit to Mark Patinkin, and I think it's another example where the media starts to, the media has been very disappointing with their headlines where they use the phrase uh, pro-Palestinian. And what, what does that even mean? I mean, it, that's not what it is. That's not why they're gathering. That's not what the protests are about. The protests are against Israel. 
and local media, you know, there was a report. You, you kind of see the two sides of the Providence Journal. You have columnist Mark Patinkin calling them out for what they're saying at these rallies and doing. And then you have uh, a reporter for the Providence Journal who's really more of an activist than a reporter and won't even mention that they don't mention the hostages, continues this false narrative that all they want is peace. If, if your wish is the destruction of Israel, that, that's not peace. Peace doesn't mean that, all, that Israel is wiped out. That, that, that's not peace. That's just a false narrative that they're continuing. And you're seeing that. And these poor people, the Palestinians. I mean, folks, we, it's really been um, since this started on October 7th. It's incredible how this thing has exploded. I will say this uh, without question. The, those that are supporting Hamas and the Palestinians definitely seemingly are kind of winning the PR battle. Uh, right, at least amongst some of the media, definitely winning the PR battle for what they're putting out there, the narrative that they're trying to have, that all they want is peace and we need a ceasefire, humanitarian pause, and on and on, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is, the fact of the matter is uh, that there was, there was a ceasefire, and that ceasefire ended on October 7th. And the people that initiated the attack, Hamas, they, they don't have the power. They, they have lost. The, they, they don't, you don't suddenly just announce that you want, even though the we're the ones that attacked, that we want a ceasefire. It's just it doesn't work that way. It's very disingenuous, as a matter of fact, to be calling for that. But they, we've also seen they have a lot of allies in the media. As I've said, they're definitely seemingly winning the PR battle. And what's also happening right now is as much as it, if you look at some of the international news and some of the protests worldwide on what's going on, I mean, that's even more frightening. So as much as, as you have some things here in our um part of the world whether it be rhode island or massachusetts you look at some of the protests in london forget about some of the protests in some of these arab countries yemen i mean forget it there iran i mean it's maybe i don't think there's anything else to do other than go protest that's like the form of entertainment but very very frightening folks you're listening to the john DePietro show j perry paving high quality Fair pricing, exceptional service. Call today for a free estimate serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. 401-732-1730. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. Why not get your driveway paved? Maybe your parking lot. J. Perry Paving. Licensed and insured contracted company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big, how small. Hey, learn about the benefits of asphalt paving, whether it's a brand new paving project, just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed. What a difference it'll make for your home, for your business with J. Perry Paving. Call them today. Free quote, 401-732-1730. 401-732-1730. Look for them on Facebook. They're also online. And remember, no one is better with veterans than J. Perry Paving. If you're a veteran or related to one, they have a special package designed for you. It'll be the most cost-efficient way to get your driveway paved or your business. J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. 